What's up, everybody? Hope you're doing well. As always, I'm grateful that you would carve out some time during your day to listen to this message. As always, I pray that it will encourage you and challenge you in some way so that your relationship with Jesus will be strengthened. Okay, we're going to jump right into our conversation um, that we've been calling Firm Foundations. This is a conversation that's rooted in the church epistles written by Paul to Christians in the first century. But Paul's words are also instructions for us today um, as well. And I believe it's timely season for us as we're sitting in the middle of this global pandemic and, and social and and racial and unrest. You know, we, if you remember, we began our conversation in Colossians and now we're working our way through the letter of, to the Galatians. And it's my conviction that in order for us to become people that God created in, in order for us to really establish our faith on a solid foundation um, to stand on, we, we believe that, that like there's some more for us to step into. And, and, and you probably discover for yourself in your own specific context, much of, much of our life um, has been up, flipped upside down recently. Um, you know, we might be able to make the case that that no time in history has the world lived with such uncertainty. And I'm having so many conversations with many of you and, and other people, and it seems like everybody I talk to is in this unrestful place um, and this looming um, fear of the future because it's so unknown is really crippling and paralyzing for so many people. And and depending on who I'm talking to, um, you can just tell there's a lot of people that are de- defeated. There's a lot of people that maybe are um, frustrated. And I just think, man, instead of instead of throwing our hands up in the air and letting that uncertainty like really derail our faith and cause us to live with anxiety and fear, what if there's a better way for us to live? Like, what if there's a healthier way for us to live in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of social and ra- racial unrest? What if there's a healthy way for us to live in the midst of this pain, in the midst of all this brokenness? And I, I, I ask that question because I really believe that there is. I think in times like this, God has a way of undoing and stripping away all the things that we thought we knew and needed in our lives. And, and he opens up our eyes to see that all we really need is him, that all we really need is Jesus, that he is the only one that we can count on. And all that is certain is God, right? And, and as long as we have him, our souls will be at rest, even when the world is full of unrest. However, my faith and your faith have to be so much more than just belief in Jesus. We have to move past that and we have to begin to adopt new rhythms and habits in our lives. We have to be proactive with our faith, right? So we're calling this firm foundations and we've identified these firm foundations as prayer, worship, stillness, fasting, and the reading of scripture. And my hope for you is that you'll 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 use each of these rhythms and they'll be apparent in your life and that you can carve out some time to practice them. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And so, um, Paul, as we're jumping into Galatians, we're in Galatians chapter 5. This is going to be a part one of a part two conversation. We're just going to tackle half of Galatians 5 this week. Paul sees Christians subscribing to the idea that God only accepts those who uphold the law. Um, So for the Galatian Christians and, and many Christians today, living out their faith and finding things um, in God and behaving well so that God can approve of them was their basically their way of life, right? Like doing good, being good. And that's how we get the approval of God. And according to Paul, this mentality actually takes you farther away from God and not closer to him. So in our efforts to uphold and be obedient to God, be the law or whatever it may be, works-based religion, 
in our effort to get closer to God, when we actually subscribe to a religion that's works-based or legalistic, we're actually moving further away from God. And as we'll see here in chapter 5, to, to su- subscribe to a works-based religion means that you've really lost touch of grace and have abandoned Christ in your life. These are strong words by Paul, I know, and he spends a lot of time coming back to this thought because it's such a problem and, and I think still is today within the church. You probably have seen that firsthand as well. But Paul has something to say to us right here and right now, and I think it's worth listening to. So hopefully we can take it and accept it as a better way of living um, in the current circumstances that we all find ourselves in. So I'm going to spend two weeks, as I mentioned, in chapter five. This week, we're only going to look at, look at the first 15 verses. Next week, we'll wrap up chapter five. So let's dive in. Galatians chapter five, verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord that you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that's confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters... If I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Not only not don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I'm titling this message, The Gospel of Freedom. If you've been tracking with us over the last three months, you're probably thinking to yourself, Mike, really another message on freedom? And my answer to you is yes, we're going there again. I think this will be the third message I've given on freedom because freedom is such a broad word and has so many different levels to it. Freedom is the gospel. The gospel is freedom. The very heart of Jesus's ministry was freedom and the outcome of the cross was freedom. So to be Christian is to be free. To be free is to be a Christian, right? When we when we root ourselves in the gospel. So it's so important that we not only understand what freedom is, but that we know how to live in it. And maybe even more importantly, recognize it when freedom is not something that we're living in as followers of Jesus. Again, that's our context here. This is this is who Paul is talking to. He's talking to Christians. And so that's that's who I'm talking to right now. I want to read this quote by Tim Keller as he shares his perspective on, on what gospel freedom is. It was really helpful for me. And this is, what, this is what he says in regards to gospel freedom. He says, Modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air. It is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon to live is destroyed. The fish is not more free, but less free. It cannot honor the reality of its nature. The same is true with airplanes and birds. If they violate the law of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. 
The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not much of the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. This illustration of fish, airplanes, and birds being put outside of their environment, outside of their realities, is actually helpful for me in understanding the gospel of freedom. If you've ever been fishing, then you know what a fish goes through when it's pulled out of the water and it's either thrown up into the boat or on the shoreline. The fish is not having a good time. Actually, you know, the fish is suffering. The fish is dying. And this is probably why I don't like to go fishing all that much. Um, I have a lot of empathy for the fish. I feel bad for them. Um, if I do go fishing, I'm definitely a catch and release type guy. I want the fish to go back into its family. I want the fish to live in its free reality where it can flourish and thrive. Um, so these words, this picture that Tim Keller gives us here of fish and airplanes and birds is helpful for me because it shows me that freedom is not about living without constraints, but rather it's flourishing in the environment that God has placed me to be in and knowing the kinds of environments that will in fact damage my soul or suck the life out of me and ultimately become a barrier into my intimacy with Jesus. So gospel freedom is what you're made for. It's a firm foundation to stand on. It's an environment and a reality for you to flourish and thrive in. And, and so Paul says in verse one, for freedom, Christ set us free for freedom. Christ set us free. Paul directly ties our freedom to Christ. And in Greek, he is saying this, for freedom, Christ freed you. So freedom is both the means and the end to the Christian life. Everything about the gospel is directly tied and points to freedom. And Paul is tying our freedom to a past event. So when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free, he's looking at the past event that had already happened, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So freedom cannot be received, it can't be lived in or even properly understood without going back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul is saying, you are free because Jesus freed you. And so a question that I automatically ask, and this is where my head goes, is what am I free from? Paul tells us in verse one, you're free from anything that enslaves you or brings a burden to your souls. And there is a long list of things that enslave me. There's a long list of things that bring burden to my soul. And some of the things I wrote down, maybe this is true for you. Um, so the worry that keeps you up at night, Paul says, you are free. Paul says the person who has sowed some bad seeds in your life, people that have maybe said some hurtful things to you, you're free. The expectations that you put on yourself that cause you to live with an extraordinary amount of anxiety you are free. The fear you have about the future, you are free. The loneliness you feel, you are free. And the areas in your life that you think you failed in, Paul says, you're free. Not because of anything that you did, but because Christ has set you free. And I just want to speak an encouraging word into your life right now. You are free in Jesus Christ. You are not made to carry the burdens that you're carrying Jesus wants to take them off of your shoulders. The, he, you know, your soul is not made to be enslaved to anything, be it sin, the addictions, bad habits, unhealthy rhythms, toxic relationships. You are free. And, and my prayer for us right now and for, for anybody that's listening, before we go any further, my encouragement of prayer is that you would lay all your burdens, your fears, and your failures down at the cross. 
and allow Jesus to do what he does best, set you free. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And it's out of the freedom that you already have um, that Paul writes these words. And so this is his context. If there's anything we need to understand in regards to the gospel of freedom, it's that you are free because Christ has set you free. And this is this is the framework. And so here in these 15 verses, Paul makes three really big points to Christians in regards to gospel freedom. The first, which we've already talked about, you are free. He then says in verses 1 through 12, don't lose your freedom. So that's the second point. Don't lose your freedom. And then he says in verses 13 through 15, don't abuse your freedom. And so you are free, point one, which we've already talked about. Point two, don't lose your freedom. Point three, don't abuse your freedom. And so I want to unpack these last two points together. The first one, don't lose your freedom. When I say don't lose your freedom, what I'm not saying is that you can lose your salvation. Okay, it's be, it's, it's be very clear on that. We cannot lose our salvation. Scripture is very clear on that. God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. You know, God looks at you the same way that he looks at Jesus. This again is the gospel. You are his beloved child. However, the Galatians show us that it's really easy to lose our freedom in Christ by slipping back into legalism and works-based righteousness. And so what, what we're seeing here is, although we can't lose our salvation, freedom is fragile. Like we can walk away from freedom entirely based on how we choose to live our lives. This is why you can, you can meet and bump up to Christians, whether at church or wherever it is, and they would profess Jesus, but you can see their lives are far from him. They're either crippled with legalistic faith or they're judgmental. They're angry, grouchy, whatever it may be is because freedom is fragile. You can follow Jesus. Um, you could probably have a relationship with Jesus, but your soul could be held in captivity. And so Paul says, stand firm, and which really is essentially a military word, mixing the ideas of keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. Um, in other words, we must be diligent and militaristic with our with our freedom. We must remember, preserve, rejoice, and live in accordance with with our salvation because freedom is fragile. This is the story of the Israelites. If we if we just go back a little bit into the Old Testament, the, the story of the Israelites really is just a case study of all humanity. Anytime I read that story, I see myself um, in the story. And so the Israelites were enslaved, right? Under um, Pharaoh's rule, they were slaves in Egypt and they wanted to be free. So when they were enslaved, all they wanted was freedom. And so they were set free. Eventually God sends a leader in Moses and Moses leads them out of captivity and they were free from slavery and freedom for them ended up being something that was really difficult for them to live in every single day. So much so that they actually longed to go back to slavery. And so the Israelite shows freedom is fragile. It's, it's not necessarily easy to live in it um, in, in, in a proper way. And so this is Paul's whole reason for writing this letter in the first place. The Galatian Christians found salvation in Jesus. They were set free from the law. But after some time, they begin to actually slip back 
into their old way of living. And really what that was, was a legalistic faith. Be good, do good, all is good. God is happy when you're good, right? And and the point Paul is making is that you cannot hold on to grace if you're living by works. Let me say that again. You can't hold on to grace if you're living by works. And the whole point of the cross is all about how we can't save ourselves, right? Like we need a savior. Mike Rigdon needs a savior. I cannot save myself. This is why I said yes to Jesus. This is why I'm following Jesus. So just as much as we we didn't earn our salvation by our behavior, we cannot unearn our sal- salvation by our behavior. And Paul says that instead of striving for righteousness, which is an effort that is doomed to fail every time, he encourages the Galatians in verse 5 to eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Now that is a phrase that that I could spend a whole lot of time on here, but I won't. Um, But what's important for us to see here is that the biblical word elpida, which means hope, has such a stronger meaning than it has in English. So when he says, when Paul says, eagerly await the hope of righteousness, right? He's meaning something that's pretty deep and um, uh, pretty powerful into our lives. And, And, you know, for us, we just throw the word hope around like any other word, right? Like, is it going to be sunny tomorrow? I hope so. Are, are, are you going to are you going to have to work on Saturday? I hope not, right? So hope is defined in Hebrews 11:1. 1. It means total assurance, it and certainty of something. It's a reality that you can't perceive without seeing. So it's a deep, meaningful, powerful word that speaks into uncertain times but brings a lot of clarity and assurance in those uncertain times. And and so you see the difference between the Greek word and our English word, which is really a big problem for the reader of the English Bible. The word that means total assurance in Greek also means not too sure in English. And this is why it's so easy to misunderstand so much of what the Bible says. We have to understand it from its original language. We have to study it together. We have to look at Greek words because, because the words in English don't do justice to what the word meant in Greek. And so hope is such an important component, I think, to not losing our freedom. We have to be people that await the presence and power of God in our lives until it's complete in us. We have to trust him and know that he's taking us on a journey. We don't need to work or strive for anything. Paul says, await the hope of righteousness. When we await in righteousness, we're doing much more than just being good people. We are in right relationship with God. We know that he's the potter and we are the clay. In Christ, our future is certain, it's secure, and it's firm. And it's in this place that we can live in freedom and not lose it. So I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question in regards to not losing your freedom. What did Jesus save you from? That you're still holding on to. What did Jesus save you from? That you're still holding on to. I want to encourage you to take some time. To think about that. And when you identify it. It may be a few things by the way. It may may not just be one. It could be a list of things. But as you identify it. And you take some time. And be prayerful about it. uh, Hand it over to Jesus. And step back into freedom. 
Um, just like the Israelites, they longed for freedom. And when they got it, they all knew it went back to captivity. The same thing with the Galatians. That type of restlessness, that type of unrest, that type of going back is in me. And I think it's in all of us. And so Paul encourages us to not lose our freedom by falling back into old habits and patterns. The third and final thing that Paul is saying is found in verses 13 through 15. He says, don't abuse your freedom. Don't abuse your freedom. So just as you can lose your freedom by slipping back into a legalistic faith, you can actually abuse your freedom by falling into permissiveness. Um, and, And just as the gospel freedom takes away the guilt and shame of sin and ultimately removes the desire to sin, Paul knows better than anyone else that as he's talking about freedom, so many people can be misled, right? Paul knows that as he speaks about freedom from the law, some immediately think that that means they are now free to determine their own standards of behavior. I've seen this firsthand. Professing Christians living however they want because they know they can just ask Jesus for forgiveness and that their sins won't be counted against them, right? And so grace is actually a motivation for very, very many people, a lot of people, faith professing Christians to sin. They can justify their sin because of grace. And, and this is exactly what Paul means when he talks about abusing your freedom in Christ. Paul sees this happening with the Galatian Christians. And again, sadly, this is still happening within the church today. And that doesn't exclude me, by the way. Like, I'm just as guilty as anyone else for abusing my freedom in Christ. Like, I could leverage grace and, and, and make that permissive for me to actually sin. And I I could say that um, uh, out loud, even though I'm a pastor, because I'm a sinner. You guys all know that. We're all sinners. And Paul is speaking very directly here because he is concerned with Jesus followers' comfortability of sin and their ability to be okay with their sin. Like, Paul is looking at followers of Jesus who have been saved from sin and death, and they're choosing to still live in their sin. Like, their sin doesn't bother them. And Paul sees a problem with that. Not to be people who just point at each other and say all the sins that we have and that's where we just stay. But there is a level where where Paul and the New Testament writers want us to not be okay with our sin. They want our sin to actually grieve our souls. And so he he says in verse 13, and I'm summarizing this of course, That the gospel doesn't free you to sin. The gospel does not free you to sin. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And Paul is continuing on with his thought back in verse 7. He says, Galatians, you were running such a good race. Like you, you got started on the right path. You said yes to Jesus. Jesus came and filled you with the spirit. And you started to live for him. But But what happened? Like, who convinced you to live like this? At one point in your life, uh, you knew your sin was eating your soul. And you said yes to Jesus. But now, after being set free from your sin, you've gone right back to it. And you don't even seem to be bothered by it. What happened? And so, if there's anything we ought to know about sin, and this is the framework, I think, that, that Paul is working out of here, it's, From the biblical narrative, sin breaks the heart of God. And so if sin breaks the heart of God, 
Sin also ought to break the hearts of the people of God. Like sin is devastating to God. Sin is the cause of brokenness. It's the cause of disease, evil, hate, murder, and death. God hates sin. There's no other way to say it. Like just go read Genesis chapter 3. God hates sin. So sin is not something God created. Sin is the result of mankind wanting to be in charge. And, and, and God in his love for us dealt with the sins of the world through Jesus. The gospel message is all about the holiness of God and that nothing short of complete holiness could pay for the sins of the world. Only the death of Jesus, who was perfect and blameless, could satisfy God's hatred for sin. But the gospel doesn't end with Jesus, does it? The gospel includes you. The gospel includes me. It includes everybody, all mankind. The gospel tells us that God is so loving and gracious that we can now receive his perfect righteousness and stand pure and blameless in his sight because of what Jesus did. This is revolutionary to us. This changes everything with us. The gospel deals with the sin in my heart. And, and so here's, here's how I want to land the plane um, this week. I just want to encourage you to reflect on the love that God has for you. I don't know a better place to go as we talk about our sins in our world, in our life, and the brokenness and not becoming overwhelmed with it, and even worse, becoming comfortable with it. Like the only way I know how to um, uh, approach my sin without becoming shamed and guilty and beat myself up is to just reflect on the love that God has for me. Like God is crazy about me. He's crazy about you. And it's only through this revelation of the love of God that our souls can be free from the sin. As one of the New Testament writers say, that so easily entangles us. Like the gospel frees you to live however you want. That's absolutely true. And this will be an ongoing thing within the church. Um, people hearing about freedom and living however they want. Yes, the gospel frees you to live however you want. But if you really understand the message of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then you'll come before God and ask him, like, how can I live for you today? You're not going to be concerned about what you can get away with. But you're going to come before him and want to live for him because his love for you is so real. His love for you is so alive. And you're going to want to honor him with your life. And I think if you can come before him and just ask God as you sit in his love, how can I live for you today? I think his answer back to you will be something like, look at Jesus. Like, follow the ways of Jesus. He Jesus has set the path before you. You are free. Follow Jesus' example. Obey me because you love me. Don't obey me because you think you have to earn my love. And, and so this, this is a place that I want to leave us um, for this week. And we're going to pick up in verse 16 next week. But just find time today. Find time every single day and just reflect on the love that God has for you. Because freedom is fragile, right? 
And Paul knows that we can lose it, and he knows that we can abuse it. And he wants us to live and be the people that God has created us to be. And so, Father, I confess that there are parts of me that cause me to lose and abuse my freedom in you. And so I I just want to bring everything to you. I want to lay everything down at the foot of the cross, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all the things in between in my life. And, And Lord, you know me better than I know me. And I'm thankful that I could be honest with you. I'm thankful that I can come before you. No, you don't count my sins against me, Lord, but, but you want me to live for you. And so, Father, I just pray over each person listening to this message. Um, they are your daughters. They are your sons who love you deeply. And, and, and you love them deeply as well. And Lord, I pray that if there's anything holding their souls back from living in the freedom that you've designed them for, I ask that you would free them um, in in Jesus' name. Would you free their souls? Would you remove the fears of the future? Would you remove the sense of failures, the doubts, the shame, the guilt, the anxiety, the depression, loneliness? And would you just fill them with the truth and the message of gospel freedom? Like you are free because Christ has set you free. So Lord, we believe it, we choose to stand on this firm foundation, and we choose to live in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.